20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to another edition of a Pack a Day podcast. It is Sunday, April 7th, 70 degrees today in the crappiest city and state in the world. That is Rockford, Illinois for you. Uh, But the weather at least is nice today, keeping our mind off of the fact that we live in the worst state in the world. I am your host this evening. I am Jacob Westendorf and reunited. We still haven't done two shows together in quite some time, but... Zach Jacobson is here with me. Zach, in the words of Motley Crue, give me the dirt. How are you feeling? Oh, the Motley Crue reference to start things off. I like that. I'm good, man. I, it's, it's, it's good to be back with you, man. I missed, I missed our little pairing here. Yeah, it has been a while uh, as far as the Motley Crue reference. Not the first and won't be the last. Those of you that know me know. know that is uh, my favorite band. And they had their movie come out recently on Netflix. So I just told Zach I've watched it a couple times. Zach's going to watch it a second time tonight. Real quick, Zach, I know you're a fan of the band. So give me a, a couple quick questions for you. Who is your favorite band member of that group? And what's your favorite song? My favorite, well, in the movie, my favorite was uh, was Tommy. Just because I, I, I thought, surprisingly, Machine Gun Kelly did a pretty good job of playing him. And I absolutely I agree. Just, I just thought Machine Gun Kelly. So uh, I thought he did a pretty good job. But outside of the movie, Vince Neil's Vince Neil's my favorite. Uh, if I had to pick my one favorite song, it's either Animal in Me or Too Young to Fall in Love. Oh, wow. Yeah. Animal in Me from the – I don't even remember the name of the album that that was on. Um, I really do not either, but I don't, I don't know why. I heard that song when I was younger, and it's just – it stuck with me ever since. It's not it, one of their, their popular ones. It's not Wild Side or, or Girls, Girls, Girls or anything, but – I, I love it, man. No, no. And you know what? I just remembered it's Saints of Los Angeles because I do remember that was the tour that I saw them on for the first time when I was 16 years old was the Saints so of Los White, Angeles. The White tour. Album cover, right? Yes, sir. Yep. And then uh, I, I got in trouble because the next day at school, now keep in mind, I went to a private Christian school. I wore my Saints of Los Angeles hoodie and it had a big skull right in the middle of the chest and they thought that was like super offensive for some reason. So that's interesting. Vince Neil, for some reason, being your favorite is not surprising to me at all. Um, I mean, I'm a former front man, you know, so I got to, I got to, you know, empathize with him. So there you have it. Uh, my favorite is Nikki Six. Um, I the last book that I read cover to cover uh, was the Heroin Diaries, which was a 
biography, autobiography, kind of a taken side of his um, his life and how everything was when he was using that stuff every so often. Uh, I, I think his story is really good. And he basically formed the band, so I kind of have him to thank for that. Uh, my favorite song is Wild Side. Uh, Home Sweet Home definitely gets a, a nod from me as well. But you guys don't want to hear my Motley Crue takes. Uh, Zach, I'm sure we could talk about this for quite some time. This is a Packers show. So let's get to uh, the inside linebacker that we are set to profile tonight, and that is from the University of Michigan, number 10, Devin Bush. So to just go in through here real quick, Devin Bush was a two-year starter uh, for the Michigan Wolverines. He started on special teams his freshman year, and I will never forget this highlight against, I believe it was Penn State, uh, Jabril Peppers was returning a punt, and this was my first impression of Devin Bush was he just kind of blindside blocks somebody for them and completely lays waste to him as Peppers sprints toward the end zone. Didn't end up scoring, but had he, Devin Bush definitely got the block there. He basically transformed Michigan's defense once he was put into the middle of the field. He's got sideline to sideline speed that wasn't really matched. He's got uh, what in college football what they call, quote, SEC speed. Uh, so he had that playing inside linebacker on a Big Ten team. A little bit smaller. He's 5'11". Uh, he's not, you know, your 250-pound prototype beefy middle linebacker. Uh, he's definitely more of the new age linebacker type. But Big Ten, one of the Big Ten defensive players of the year, he was an All-American at his position uh, in that inside linebacker role and the captain of Michigan's defense along with uh, edge rusher Chase Winovich, who will be profiled for you by somebody else here. But, Zach, from when you see on him, from what you've seen of him on tape, what is your first impression of Devin Bush uh, when you turn that tape on? Well, he pops out at you. Whatever you're trying to do, I, Peter Bukowski actually uh, tweeted something similar. It actually really echoed my thoughts as well. Tweeted that out on th- uh, Friday that whatever you're trying to do, whether you're trying to watch tape, if you're watching your, the team that you are lining up against Michigan, Devin Bush will pop out, and he will make you notice him. Okay, he... What, what stood out to me the most with him was his coverage ability. And he was able to take running backs out of the backfield. He's able to line up across tight ends. And, look, if the Packers get a linebacker that can cover a tight end, then that alone is a monumental stepping stone for the future because they have not had that in quite some time, and they have always been gashed over the middle of the field. Bush would bring them just superb coverage ability. And that's, like I said, one of the things that stood out the most uh, to me about Bush. Yeah, the first thing for me was definitely his speed. Um, you know, like you mentioned, that pops immediately. And a lot of people came into this year really looking for you know, Rayshon Gary. I think Bush and Winovich were kind of afterthoughts in a defense that included what you, what was the number one recruit in the country when he came out of high school, and that was Gary. And Gary kind of now, at least on the – draft Twitter side of things has kind of fallen out of favor. It seems the he's going to be one of those guys I think the NFL likes more uh, than the guys on Twitter do. But Bush, like I mentioned, that speed pops immediately. And something I was looking for this year was that coverage ability, like you mentioned, because he wasn't asked to do it a whole lot during his sophomore season. But his junior year, he was. And he was more than capable of running with running backs, more than capable of running with tight ends. Now, there's not a ton of athleticism in the Big Ten, but 
at the same time, there were enough players. You know, he was running stride for stride uh, during a game with Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell ran a 4-3-40. I mean, probably the fastest receiver in this draft class, either him or Hollywood Brown. That's no small feat. Um, you've got a guy that I think you can plug into the middle of your defense, and really the conversation that's going to take place is between him and Devin White as to who the better player is. Devin White has certainly had the the hype going into the season, uh, going into the draft process, and I think what I said was going to happen through October, uh, as early as October, and going through everything was people are going to pop this tape on of Devin Bush and see a player that is just as big, just as athletic, and has better instincts. And that's something that pops out to me as well is the fact that instincts for a linebacker, I think, are the most important trait you could possibly have. And Bush has the best instincts in this class. And I know right off the bat, some of you guys are going to listen to this and kind of roll your eyes. Anybody who knows me knows, yeah, Michigan's my team. I've watched every single snap Devin Bush has played for the last couple of years. I can promise you when I say this, this is not – Homerism. This is not bias, and I would admit to you if it was, but in this case, it's not. Bush is only an inch shorter, and he doesn't. It's not like he weighs thirty pounds less than Devin White, and he has better instincts and playmaking ability. So that kind of leads me to ask, what are we even really doing here? Then why is this a conversation? I, the NFL is strange, and admittedly, I don't know everything, but honestly, Zach, at this point, Bush is. Pretty much the same size, the same level athlete, and far more productive. So what exactly are we doing here? And he tested better than White as well. So, I mean, you know, this – Bush, he, he's just – he's a physical player. And I know people are so quick to crown Devin White as the next Ray Lewis, the next Patrick Willis. And I don't understand why. This, this The kid hasn't even played an NFL snap yet. But, you know, to his credit, neither has Devin Bush. You know, you really – you can't go wrong with either one of those picks, but when you, like you said, when you pop in the tape and you see what Devin Bush can do and what he did for Michigan, uh, specifically the last couple of seasons, he, he, he just, he stood out. You know, he made, he made it known that he was going to absolutely destroy who he was, who he was going to uh, lowering his shoulders against. I mean, you look at him as, as a tackler, um, like the Packers, they just. They opted not to re-sign Antonio Morris, and he was the best tackling linebacker that they have next to Blake Martinez. Okay, and so without Morrison, the Packers going to have like a, a little gap there, and a gap that Bush can fill. He's a physical, hardcore hitter, and he doesn't let guys get by him. So really, you shouldn't overthink something like this, you know, especially if you're the Packers, a team with two first-round picks and a colossal gap in the middle of your defense. I mean, you can only get by so long with playing Josh Jones as, as, as an inside linebacker. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, the hybrid thing is cool. The reality is Josh Jones is a workout warrior. I do think there are some positives to his game when he's close to the line of scrimmage, but he doesn't have the instincts of a linebacker either. He may not have the instincts as a safety either. It remains to be seen if he's even a player. Uh, and This is a big year for him, as Brian Gutekunst has said. But with Devin Bush, you know, you kind of started to talk about my next point that I wanted to go, and that is where would he fit if he were to be selected by the Green Bay Packers and we'll kind of get where we're more comfortable with those sorts of things. To me, Blake Martinez coming into a contract year, the Packers' salary cap space has been discussed uh, at length since they went on their little free agent spending spree. 
to the point where it's possible the Packers are going to make have to make some difficult decisions that may include letting Blake Martinez walk. So as for where he fits immediately, well, for starters, for this year specifically, he would slide in right next to Blake Martinez and play that other role. And he would be the dime linebacker because you're going to have to pick him in the first round. Uh, and then it's possible that in the future, and this is like best case scenario, the best case scenario meaning both Bush and Oren Burks proved to be really good NFL players, but they have a possibility of putting Oren Burks, a top-level athlete, and Devin Bush, a top-level athlete, next to each other in 2020, and at least kind of, again, take this with a grain, but kind of being able to replicate what the 49ers had or were able to do with their defenses with Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman. Those players were so good and so athletic, they could play base against every offense and not skip a beat. That is how the 49ers defense was so successful because they could stop the run that way, but they could play their base defense. They didn't have to put third, fourth, fifth corners on the field and could win that way. So that's too much talent there. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had a, they had a ton of talent, so that'll definitely help um, that regard. So as far as Green Bay, that would be the best case scenario in 2020. But I think that more so, Devin Bush could also potentially be a chess piece because something we haven't mentioned yet, he's a phenomenal blitzer. Uh, his ability to just see and hunt the quarterback when he is sent on a blitz, him and Blake Martinez. Those cross-dog blitzes that Mike Pettin draws up that have been drawn up in the 3-4 defense since the very beginning of time would be lethal with Kenny Clark and Ed Oliver right there in the middle of that defense. So that's something else, I think, as far as where he would fit. Zach, where do you see him fitting in in his rookie season should he be selected by Green Bay? Well, I know as Devin Bush being the you know this premier prospect that everyone is anointing him as, um, he's going to have some growing pains in year one. Obviously, mastering a new defense and Mike Pettin obviously doesn't run a complex scheme, but you know there's he's, there's still going to be some 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 challenges there. Getting himself accommodated, getting himself familiar with what the Packers are trying to do defensively. Eventually, I could see him easily pairing up next to Martinez, and I like that you mentioned the fact that he's a very excellent blitzer because. That is absolutely true, and Mike Pettin would absolutely relish having him, of all people, to rush the quarterback from the inside. And God forbid any running back that that squares up with Devin Bush who is bull rushing him head on. That is not going to end up good for the running back. But uh, Pettin loves those kind of interchangeable pieces. Guys can play in various spots and do various things. And to to, to Josh Jones. I don't think this this marks really the end of what he could do. I think the Packers can still kind of use him as more of a role player in, in certain situations. They could still kind of keep him in certain downs. They could just keep him keep him uh, stuck there. You know, sure. You know, he doesn't have to play a full time role, but he's good. Very very bad. You know, who knows what you're people, but. Uh, as far as Devin Bush goes, yeah, he would definitely fill well next to Blake Martinez. And the plan you mapped out for 2020, Warren Burks takes that leap in year two and year three. I mean, who, who knows? You know, that would be a, a pretty dynamic pairing right there. And 
two guys that can cover over the middle of the field, and if Burks is able to kind of really master the physicality aspect of his game and, uh, you know, wrap guys head on and really not shy away from coming across the middle of the field, then that's going to pair well with, with Bush and his abilities and what he can do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's your best case scenario, obviously. The worst case scenario is that Oren Burks isn't able to take that second-year jump and Devin Bush becomes a first-round bust, in which case you're kind of starting from scratch at that position again when that's the case, which kind of leads to the next point here, Zach, and that is you know, inside linebacker has been a position I feel like we've been talking about for years that Green Bay could use an infusion of talent, an upgrade, some high-pedigree type of player, and the Packers just simply haven't done it. Last year, they traded up in the draft – uh, into the third round to draft Oren Burks, and that is the highest uh, pick that they've used and the most amount of draft capital they've used on an inside linebacker since Ted Thompson drafted A.J. Hawk in the first round in 2005, and that was his first year as the Packers general manager. So that was a long time ago. Um, how the Packers may value him, I'm not quite sure. Uh, the way I feel about where where would I value him. So the Packers, as we've mentioned, have two picks in the first round. If you didn't know that, I'm assuming you've lived under a rock for the last year. So the Packers pick 12th and 30th. There are some people starting to come around to the idea of Devin Bush at 12. Now, obviously, a lot of this stuff depends on what does the board look like um, because that's going to answer a lot of questions in the first place. But as also has been noted on Twitter is only 11 guys can go before pick 12. I know, strange math, but it's strange to see you know, 25 guys that I think I've heard are not going to be available at 12, so the Packers won't have a chance with them. I say all that to say it's still not quite, I'm not there yet. I, I don't know if I will be. I don't think I could live with the Packers using a top 15 pick on a non-premium position that frankly is a rundown type of defender, even though Devin Bush does excel in the passing game as well. Using somebody as a rundown defender with a top 15 pick, I don't think I could get there yet. If the Packers slide down a few spots or are able, I've often said I think the 30th overall pick is the move pick. And what I mean by that is I think that they'll either move up and get somebody they really like that's falling a little bit into the 20s or move back a little bit if there's a bunch of guys there that they like and they want to pick up an extra pick or two. If Devin Bush were to fall to, say, 19, which is where the Tennessee Titans are at, right in front of the Pittsburgh Steelers, which kind of seems to be the sweet spot for a lot of mocks as to where uh, Devin Bush is going to go. Now, some people have him going earlier than that, obviously, but the Steelers do make some sense as a team trying to replace Ryan Shazier. I would be willing for the Packers, I know this kind of sounds strange because I said I wouldn't use a top 15 pick on him, but I would move up from 30 because the 30th pick is an extra lottery ticket to me and go get him that way. I think that's where I'm the most comfortable. Or if they move back, say there's a scenario that happens where Brian Burns and Ed Oliver and all the big-name defensive players are off the board, then if that's the case, then, yeah, you know the Packers could slide back a little bit from 12 and pick him there, and I would certainly be willing to talk myself into it. He's a great player. Uh, but if they were to stay put at 12 and draft Devin Bush over somebody like Oliver, Burns, Montez Sweat. Uh, the conversation at that point for me, you're probably getting into, and without looking at a board, this is kind of difficult, but you're probably getting into the conversation of like 
Devin Bush or one of the Iowa tight ends, whichever one you like better, pick your flavor. Uh, and if that were the case, I mean, I'm not real wild about either one as a top, any of those things as a top 15 pick. But if that's the case, yeah, I would be able to talk myself into something like that. So that was really long-winded. Uh, Zach, where, I mean, are you comfortable at 12? Are you comfortable at 30? Are you hoping he falls into the second round, which seems very unlikely, but where are you looking uh, for the sweet spot, if you will, to bring this guy into Green Bay? You know, I've often said that Bush would be one of the four players that I'm perfectly on board with selecting at 12th overall, and uh, those four, Burns, Devin White, Ed Oliver, and uh, wait, who did I say? Oh, Bush. <laughs> Excuse me. Bush, Devin White, Brian Burns, and Ed Oliver. I'm, I'm beat right now, Jacob. Um, but those would be the four guys I'd be okay with taking the 12. And I think, you know, Bush, a talented guy that goes in the between the 15 and the 20 range, but I think that, that three-spot disparity right there, I don't think that warrants passing up on a guy like Bush, who would be able to help your defense in multiple, uh, multiple facets. He'd be able to help your pass rush as a blitzer. He'd be able to help you in run support. He helps your pass coverage over the middle. He would give Pedden just such a versatile weapon to work with and just a, a guy to add to his arsenal that that options are really endless there and I think that would warrant a, a, a full hit right there so um, that so I'll use it yeah I, I think that um, you know you start looking at some of those things as far as if you want to talk about like an ideal draft if I could just pair two prospects with the Packers for the immediate future. I mean, if you look at like 12 overall, somebody like one of those stud pass rushers, like Brian Burns, like uh, Montez Sweat, like any of those guys, really. And then you look in, or Ed Oliver even, as somebody else. And then you look into that second pick, somebody else being Devin Bush. You want to talk about a front seven with just out-of-this-world potential. Adding those two guys to that, along with the Smiths, along with Kenny Clark, along with Mike Daniels, along with Blake Martinez for a year. That has, well, maybe one year, maybe longer. That has incredible potential. And I think if you want to talk absolutely ideal, that's where we're looking. Uh, But, again, it's not an ideal world, and I don't think things happen that way. So that is Devin Bush, uh, the best inside linebacker prospect in this draft class, as noted by Zach and myself. Check out the Cheesehead TV draft guide to see where he exactly falls in terms of rankings in there. I don't know off the top of my head who it was that did the inside linebacker stuff, but I will get that information for you by the end of this podcast. It is out. It is available. Purchase it now. Zach, it's Sunday now, but Thursday was a pretty busy day in the world of the Green Bay Packers. Former beat writer Tyler Dunn published an article with Bleacher Report, and it basically was called well, it wasn't basically called. It was called What Happened in Green Bay. And a lot, a lot to unpack. And quite frankly, I mean, we could do this show for the next two hours on this article alone. But there was a lot in that story, kind of a takedown. Well, I don't want to call it a takedown because that makes it seem like Tyler had malicious intentions. And I don't think that was the case. But a takedown of, you know, Ted Thompson, Mark Murphy. Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers, uh, just some cliff note highlights for you in there. Um, yes, everyone, um, 
Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley were quoted. Uh, I imagine they came sprinting when called and asked about doing an interview for this piece. So that wasn't that surprising, but just some highlights. Uh, The accusation was in there that Mike McCarthy was skipping offensive meetings uh, to get massages in his office while meetings were taking place. Uh, There was also, (laughs) yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, There is also the accusation that Aaron Rodgers started that rumor as ways to get the coach fired, whatever. I mean, whatever the motive was, wasn't really stated, but it seems kind of obvious in there. But McCarthy missing meetings, there was a quote in there stating that Ted Thompson, the general manager, was falling asleep in meetings at points, um, which could be an attribute to declining health. I don't really want to get into that too much. Uh, even though it's that's really the only mention of him throughout the story, and then the big the big one to me was the the allegation or the you know whatever word you want to use that when the Packers hired made the decision to hire Matt Lafleur, it says in the story that they told Aaron Rodgers that they were hiring Lafleur, and there was a pause at the other end of the phone, and then Rodgers spoke, and then Murphy is quoted as saying, "Don't be the problem." Uh, don't be the problem. Basically, accept coaching. This is your coach, and this is how things are going to go. It said Mark Murphy was tired of the diva stuff. He was tired of bad headlines. He's ready to get things back on track. Zach, like I mentioned, a lot in that story. Uh, just for the very macro view, what were your first impressions once you read that story for the first time? My first impression, geez, Jacob, you're, you're really just, you're expecting a lot out of me here. Uh, my, my, my mind, when I read that story, was kind of all over the place because there was just so much information. And a lot of it really just, I mean, it, it confirmed a lot of what we knew about Aaron Rodgers and about Mike McCarthy. Yeah, we, we knew that their, their relationship was tumultuous. We knew they may not have gotten along 100% of the time, but... A lot of quarterback and coach tandems don't get along 100% of the time. That's just how it is. But, you know, it shouldn't – I know everyone's really approaching this story with a lot of skepticism because it has Greg Jennings and Michael Finley's names attached to it. But, you know, you can't discredit these guys' opinions just because you don't like them and just because they're going out on a limb to, to really spread possible fallacies about their former quarterback. You know, they, they're – could be some truth to all of this. We don't really have any reason to believe it, but we don't really have any reason to kind of shoot it down into the dirt either. You know, Ty, Ty did exceptional work on that piece, and I, I believe that it was well-researched, and I believe that he published that with the full belief that he knew exactly what he was going to incite amongst the Packers fan base, amongst national media, I mean, now that's all everyone's talking about now, about Aaron Rodgers as a diva, Aaron Rodgers as an ego. It's it's insane, you know, and there's really not one thing to take away from it. You just, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, I know, I don't want to, I guess I don't want to say I know Tyler personally, but I've met Tyler. I've talked to him a little bit. Uh, we worked together a little bit when I was interning for Packer Report in college. Uh, ultimate professional. Uh, definitely nice to everybody in the room, all very respectful, all those sorts of things. I I certainly believe that Tyler's intentions were were good. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, everything in the story can be 
you know, 100% bulletproof. That's kind of not how it works with anything, yeah. uh, you know, especially where you're quoting somebody who one person has their impression of one thing, another person has their impression, and it was something else. Um, I, I definitely think that, like you said, there's a lot that was in there that we kind of already knew. Uh, hey, the funny part to me today was, obviously today's kind of the fallout day. I listened to, uh, or excuse me, today, we're recording this on a Friday. Um, I listen to Mad Dog Radio on Sirius XM every day. And between Adam Shine and Danny Cannell and uh, Nick Wright and some of the other guys I was listening to just as the day went through. But the funniest part of the day to me was, you know, Jermichael Finley is quoted in that story several times. And, you know, he's got some pretty strong quotes about Aaron Rodgers and, he tweeted something later in the day about how I I've never lied to anybody or I always spoke the truth or something. I don't remember exactly what it said, but um, Adam Shine played a quote back from when Jermichael Finley was being interviewed during the Super Bowl week on the show. And Jermichael Finley basically was asked about Aaron Rodgers. He says, yeah, he loves to be coached. Uh, you know, he doesn't always like what the coaches do, but, you know, he loves to be coached. That's what he wants. That's what he is. That's He's a coachable dude. I never had a problem with him, all that sort of stuff. So right there you have a contradiction between basically everything that Finley said in that story and what he said over the air. So if I had some advice for Mr. Finley, it would be just remember, if you say something on the air, it's it's not going to go away. That, that stuff gets archived. So that was kind of funny to me. Today was definitely the fallout day. Um, you know, I do think it's funny the – the confirmation biases that take place, like the people that think, oh, Mike McCarthy was a moron. See, this is proof of that. Or, oh, Aaron Rodgers is a diva. Aaron Rodgers is a jerk. It's it's almost like the people that worship at Brett Favre's altar so badly want these things about him to be true. And then you go in, you know, the Ted Thompson stuff, or I don't like Mark Murphy, so I'm glad this stuff came out and can embarrass him or whatever. I just think that's disingenuous. The reality of the situation is, do I think 100% of the things in this story were true? No, I don't. Um, and that doesn't mean that Tyler made them up either, because let me get something. Before I get into this, let me get something out of the way. And, Zach, I'm sure you'll agree with me. I love Twitter. Uh, there's so many things on it that I think are hilarious. And it's really a good tool. It's got a good use of, you know, for us to connect with just people in general. But the thing that makes me laugh about it is immediately Tyler Dunn has his integrity and everything called into question because he used anonymous sources, which there's various reasons they can do that. And I get that, you know, I see the quote of, that's not journalism. It's like, yeah, the person who is, and nothing against these people that do something else, like me, I work in long-term care facilities for a living. I am not a quote-unquote journalist. I'm not going to tell somebody who went to school, has a degree in journalism, and is a professional what is and isn't their job and how their job is supposed to work. Tyler Dunn says he's still... journalism, by the way. Right, exactly. There's that too. That's quite literally journalism. So we can agree with those things. Um, but the confirmation biases and stuff like that, I, I just find that uh, funny myself um, that people want these things to be true. Here's the reality of the situation. I don't think everything in that story that was reported is 100% fact. There can be context added to things, whatever, that make things different than how they were portrayed in that story. What I do think, however, is that 
there are four people pretty much explicitly mentioned in the story. Ted Thompson, Mark Murphy, Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers. All four of them share some fault and blame for how this whole thing went down yep. really since 2010. And that's really where it happens. Now, the ma- the micro view, the very you know close view now, the offseason program for the Packers starts on Monday. Ted Thompson's not the general manager anymore. Mike McCarthy's not the head coach anymore. Mark Murphy's still around, but do he and Rodgers have, like, this huge relationship with each other? Probably not. They probably don't interact a ton. I shouldn't say it that way. But now I'm at the point where I believe, and I think this is the only way to look at it now, is that the buck stops with Aaron Rodgers. Everybody else is gone. Uh, Now it's going to be all eyes are on him. And can you get back to the MVP level form that you've had in recent past? Are you going to be this pouty, not to play body language police too much, but pouting, whining, undermining? That was something else that was kind of disturbing about the story was, you know, Rodgers undermining the head coach going rogue and changing the plays um, in the huddle, putting his receivers in impossible positions. Are you going to do all those things? Because really the biggest way for this to go away is for – because obviously since then, and Zach, I'll let you talk about this, but Rodgers has had teammates come out in support of him. Former players have come out in support of Mike McCarthy. None of that stuff's going to matter. What is going to matter, what's going to make this go away, is Aaron Rodgers playing at an MVP level and the Green Bay Packers getting back to the playoffs. That's what matters the most. So, Zach, I got through that. Talk to me a little bit, though, about how you know this story comes out and it's – one of the frustrations that the fan base seems to have is when a story like this does come out that criticizes Aaron Rodgers, it's the same people. It's Greg Jennings. It's Jermichael Finley. It's people that love and worship Brett Favre. And that's really about it. Um, why doesn't that get more play than, say, for example, and we've brought it up on the show a hundred times. Why doesn't that get more play than Devontae Adams calling him his brother or the stuff John Kuhn said or just his countless amount of teammates that have come out in support of him? Why is that the case? Oh, we did talk about it before the show. It's because that won't get clicks. That won't get airtime. It's not It's not as juicy as, you know, a story about McCarthy skipping team meetings to get a massage in the stairwell or something like that. You know, it's not it, – it, it's nothing of that magnitude and. You know, there were three things I wanted to mention. The first thing about his teammates, current and former. You got Casey Hayward coming to defend him on Twitter. Jermaine Whitehead has defended him. Tremont Williams, Devontae Adams, John Kuhn, and possibly a couple others that I'm forgetting. They have all come to defend Aaron Rodgers and attached their names to their defense of him. Current and former teammates who have shared the locker room with Rodgers pretty much talking about how how – 12 is, is great to them. He was great to them. He was, you know, he was a very good teammate. He's a very good person. And from the story, you just got the same two guys, Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley. And, you know, we, I, I could talk about how Greg Jennings has every right to be upset. I, I could talk about that, whatever. But Jermichael Finley, I don't understand where his bitterness comes from. I, I, I really don't. But in the grand scheme of this, it is just those two guys. Ryan Grant was also featured in the story, the, the former running back, and he he was relatively neutral about the whole thing. He defended Aaron Rodgers. He kept a kind of a 
closely lensed view of the whole thing. He was, he was probably the best source person in the story. But the second thing I wanted to touch on is what you mentioned. No one is absolved from blame in this. Aaron Rodgers contributed to the fallout with between him and Mike McCarthy. McCarthy contributed to the fallout between him and Rodgers. I'm sure Mark Murphy played a role in it. I, you know, Ted Thompson even that that relationship between those two for those 13 seasons. It was very obviously toxic, and it was obvious that something needed to be done about it. And it boiled over last season against Buffalo Bills. We all saw it. We all heard Aaron Rodgers publicly trash the game plan when the Packers had 423 yards of offense. They were 11 for 19 on third down, which is a testament to how bad they were on the early downs. And the Packers won 22 to zero, but Rodgers felt like they should have really just blown the Bills out of the water, but they didn't. And then, you know, this here, this really just summarizes the last couple of years of the McCarthy era. In that game, both Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams had 11 carries. Aaron Jones pushed over 60 yards on the ground. Jamal Williams had 27 yards. He was averaging about two, two and a half yards a carry. So it's obvious when one guy is running the ball better, you feed him the ball, right? You don't stick to that little formula where you try to establish a two-back system like McCarthy did for a large part 2017 and 2018. So that really kind of just put the grand scheme of the, of the whole final years of the McCarthy era in a vacuum and really summarize the whole thing. But the third thing I wanted to touch on, too, is that Aaron Rodgers has an ego. And that was that was uh, one of the parts of the story that kind of rubbed people the wrong way. It surprised people. And for the life of me, I, I can't figure out why that would surprise anybody. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers has a goddamn ego. Of course he does. He's egocentric. He's not some egomaniac. He doesn't have this about me attitude, but you need to be like Aaron Rodgers if you want to succeed at, at, at that level. Like, in the NFL, if you're playing the position that Aaron Rodgers plays at the professional level, you need to have an ego. You need to believe that you're the best damn thing since sliced bread, and you need to be able to step onto the field believing you're going to do unspeakable things to the defense across from you. You need to have full confidence in your abilities, and that, that's having an ego. Tom Brady has an ego. Michael Jordan had an ego. I'm sure every single damn player on the Golden State Warriors roster has an ego. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's all I got to say about that. Thank you, Forrest Gump, for that ending. That was wonderful. That's all I had to say about that. There we go. Okay. Uh, I, I did think it was funny today as I'm listening again. I was listening to it was it's Dog Day Sports hosted by uh, Steve Torrey and Danny Cannell and somebody makes a call and uh, Danny Cannell has been the type that seems a little bit like he has a bit of an axe to grind with Aaron Rodgers. I'm not 100% sure why that is. I could just be cherry picking a couple things that I've heard him say before, so that's certainly possible. But nonetheless, somebody calls in and says like, "Well, that's the difference between you know Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and why Brady's won more and blah 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 blah." Guys. There's yeah. There's ways to read this story, take it for what it's worth, and not over sensationalize it. And don't change facts to fit your stories either. Because Tom Brady reportedly, and this was confirmed by a couple teammates too, walked in to the Patriots facilities before this year's AFC Championship game and said, "quote I'm the baddest mf on the planet." That's not something somebody humble says. Of course Tom Brady has an ego. 
He's the most accomplished quarterback in the history of football. He's married to a supermodel. Why the hell wouldn't he have an ego? There's no reason for him not to have an ego. Aaron Rodgers is no different. Ben Roethlisberger is no different. Drew Brees is no different. Brett Favre was no different. Peyton Manning was no different. Eli Manning sucks. He has an ego. He's no different. That's how this works. Great players have egos. You mentioned, you went to other sports. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, the Warriors. Derek Jeter was seen as this, like, humble dude when he was a New York Yankee. He was the starting shortstop for the New York Yankees and going home with Mariah Carey on a given night. No, that dude was not humble either. Humility is one of the most overrated in this context thing when it comes to sports. Do I think that Rodgers is arrogant enough to believe he can just do whatever the hell he wants and the Packers will win when he gets on the field? No. I don't think that. But of course he thinks that I'm the best player on the field when I step on the field. That's how all these guys work. Guys that suck think that. That's how you have to be to be a professional athlete, just like you said, Zach. A few things to uh, touch on as far as just things that were refuted. The the conversation that was alleged to have been had between Murphy and Rogers when Lafleur was hired, you know, Murphy allegedly told him, "Don't be the told Rogers, don't be the problem." Uh, Jason Wildy went on a radio show uh, today in the towards the East Coast and said um, that that story was false. So again, that doesn't make it false. It doesn't make it true. It's just some adding some context to that story. I think that you know ultimately the the offseason program starts on Monday. I'm sure Matt LaFleur will get asked a couple questions about it. Aaron Rodgers' media will availability will be interesting. Uh, I will be keeping an eye on that as well. But ultimately, Zach, I want to look at, you know, you got to look back before you can move forward kind of thing. How if at all does this affect the 2019 version of the Green Bay Packers? Well, I think Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur, their chemistry and their relationship with each other was already going to be kind of like the cornerstone of any success the Packers are going to have in 2019. Whether this story came out or whether it never did, whether we have any idea it ever existed. What they're able to do together and how they're able to mesh just as a quarterback and as a coach and how willing they're going to be able to be to combine ideas. I mean, I know LaFleur will be, but Rodgers, I mean, he's four years younger than LaFleur. <laughs> you know, the discrepancy there is, like, insignificant, okay? I mean, it... Is Rodgers going to respect this 39-year-old head coach? Is he going to kind of feel like his position on the team is being undermined? Is he still going to have the same amount of control over the team as he had before? Uh, you know, whether that's on the field or in the huddle or, you know, just over the players as a leader, you know? So... Yeah, you know, even whether the story came out or not, it was going to be dependent on how those two mesh. So that's that's really how I felt about that, um, regardless. Yeah, I agree. I think that was going to be a big storyline, no matter if this story came out, if it never came out, if it came out the day before the season started. Uh, I think that 
how Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers mesh was going to be a big storyline. Anyways, as far as the rest of the stuff goes, I've been very adamant about this since I started uh, blogging uh, for PackersTalk.com or you know wherever. It doesn't really matter where I've been or how I've done. But something that I always talk about is, you know, we talk about players' leadership abilities and, you know, what kind of leader are they? And the reality of the situation, and I said this in a story I wrote for Dairyland Express yesterday, was, you know, Ray Lewis is seen as this, like, unquestioned emotional leader of the Baltimore Ravens during his tenure there. And there were some players that responded to him, definitely. Uh, but there were also guys like Joe Flacco who said that, you know, there were people like him and others that just kind of stopped listening when Ray started talking because, well, as somebody who is like that myself, I think Ray Lewis is a blowhard. Uh, I don't have much desire to listen to him talk too much about anything. But I say that to say leadership is something that can only be defined in the locker room by the players in the locker room. And sometimes there are different leadership styles. I know this. Zach, you can probably attest to this for bosses you work for. There are certain leaders – that I've messed with better. The best people, the way that I am motivated, I know this. Things, problems, issues need to be addressed with me immediately, face to face. Let's have conflict, resolve the issue, and get it over with. The problems that I have had with leaders in the past is with the passive aggressive crap. So my boss tells one of my coworkers to tell me that I need to do this better. That doesn't help me. So that's a very elementary example. But just something I could say where different leadership styles work for different people. Now, Aaron Rodgers has had plenty of people say that he is a good leader. But that doesn't mean that he is for other guys either. Like some people respond to the Mike Daniels way of leadership. That's not Aaron Rodgers, really. He's he's not the fiery, throw stuff, break things like Mike Daniels is. And that's okay. Um, he's not the leader style like Brett Favre is. And I really think that that's where a lot of this stems from. A lot of this issue with Aaron Rodgers' leadership style stems from Brett Favre. I I really do think that. And listen, there's the hypocrisy that comes with the Favre fans and the, the Favre altar worshipers that I mentioned earlier. There's plenty to go around. Um, They don't like Aaron Rodgers because they don't like his personality, but they defend Brett Favre, who at minimum is an adulterer, cheated on his wife several times, and a drunk who went through all those things. And at maximum, uh, should have been convicted of sexual harassment. Uh, And I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole, but I personally don't get it. Uh, that's, That's just me. But... Zach, anything on anything I just said before we close up here? I know there was a lot in there, but Aaron Rodgers' leadership style, do you think that that is a problem? Or are you kind of like me from the standpoint of we aren't in the locker room, how the hell are we supposed to know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I agree. I, I, no, we, you know, a, a lot of the stuff I, I tweeted on, on Friday that, you know, really from a personality standpoint, from what we see at the podium, what we see, you know, Outside of the games, yeah, Aaron Rodgers has like the most boring personality, like like uh, like on the entire roster. And you know, I, not as a player, you know, of course you got the couple, you know, every now and then you get like a snide, sarcastic comment from him while he's at a presser or something like that. But really, 
it's hard to judge his leadership abilities because we don't, we're not in the locker room. We don't know how he really addresses the team. We don't know how he, how he handles his role. You know, obviously the players, like the players I mentioned earlier that, that have come out and defended him, they all respect him for a reason, not just because he's, he's one of the most talented passers ever. They respect him because, you know, clearly he guides them to, to, to winning. He guides them as, you know, as, as the player who played through injury multiple times last season specifically and the guy who played through meaningless games at the end of last season despite them being already out of the playoff picture because he wanted to set an example and he wanted to, he wanted to, to set that leadership example. Like, that, that's a prime example of who Aaron Rodgers is right there. He's not the guy that will bark in everyone's faces, like, telling them, oh, we need, to, we need to come back and win this game, get your hands out of here, you know what? But he motivates players through his actions. That's the kind of leader that he is. Now, of course, like we said, we don't know how he's in the locker room and how he addresses everybody else, but, you know, he's obviously in the position that he is for a reason. Yeah, I, I agree. And something else, I think it was you who tweeted it out today about Rodgers picking a fight with a 300-pound lineman to protect his oh, teammates. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, that was Thursday. That was a tweet from December. I think it was... Uh, Probably the Falcons game. Or no, it was the uh, it was the Jets game. 